You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherman. Happy December, everybody. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Hope it treated you well. And welcome again to another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast, along with J.C. Sherman at 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. And we are glad to get to a lot of stuff. We're going to try to cram a lot into one hour, J.C. So ordinarily, there's a little small talk here and how you doing and how's your thanksgiving i'll just i'll I'll put you on a 10 second clock to tell me all those answers doing well uh had a good thanksgiving home cooked uh, meal with uh, my significant other it was delicious um hung out with some friends and uh, watched a little football so yeah doing really well and you know, this week and to a lesser extent next week is always huge as far as off the field moves in college football. It's the hot stove league of college football, if you will. Um, and so looking forward to talking about all that. Oh, good stuff. Well, I spent mine uh, in Houston, Texas, calling Navy Houston and uh, and now join life in South Florida and uh, ready to go, uh, ready to go before uh this uh, heavy slate of conference championship games, which we'll get to, if it's anything like rivalry weekend, it'll be a little bit of a letdown because rivalry weekend was basically blowout weekend. It was beat down your rival in many cases, whether it was Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida State. South Carolina, Clemson, uh, even Kentucky still uh, uh, continues to me to be one of the most amazing stories of the year. It's not going to get any national play, and I'm not saying it should because at the end of the day, Kentucky is not that relevant overall in terms of all the things we talk about this time of year. They're going to play in a quality bowl game of some kind, maybe the, the Belk Bowl I've seen some projections of Virginia Tech, and they're just going to keep playing their wide receiver at quarterback and run it 83% of the time, and everybody in the building will know it, and nobody's stopping it. So I can't say enough about what Mark Stoops and Eddie Grant, offensive coordinator, have done there. But the, the one game that, of course, it did live up to the hype was, was Auburn, Alabama. Another Iron Bowl, fantastic from start to finish. Um, Gus Malzahn, you can stop talking about buyouts for another few months. Uh, he didn't beat Georgia, but he did beat Alabama, and that matters, quite frankly, to those folks a heck of a lot more than Georgia does. 
And it, it also, it's funny. We, we really, we have a weird way sometimes determining what the storyline is. The storyline for most people after that game wasn't what a great victory for Auburn. How in the world did they score 45 points, fantastic finish, um, freshman quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. The story became <clears throat> turning it forward. And I realize now we have all these debate shows where you got to fill a couple hours. So sometimes you have to manufacture topics that aren't necessary, ne- necessarily even true topics. But right away, it's <clears throat> is this the end of the era for Nick Saban in Alabama? Hmm. Is this all of a sudden now? If we Two years ago, <laughs> they won a national title. Last year, they were in the national championship game. This year... Their starting quarterback and Heisman Trophy candidate gets hurt, and they still are in it to the very end. But they're not going to be in the playoff, and so the narrative begins, is this going to be a factor? I'll tell you from my standpoint, there are concerns, legitimate concerns, that Alabama's defense now has been less than dominating the last two years in big games. And so you could say maybe some things have been figured out a little bit. But overall, that was one of the youngest teams in college football that you saw lose by a field goal to Auburn. All those freshmen that you saw on the field are going to be playing for the Alabama Crimson Tide the next two years. And I don't think Nick Saban's lost any motivation. So I I wouldn't start celebrating the death of Alabama dominance just yet. No, I mean, look, this is just like 2010 or 2013. Now, look, I'll say this, you know, since Nick Saban – I guess he went to the Independence Bowl his first year. Um, that was the year they lost to Louisiana Monroe. Um, and then it's been, you know, no. I think the Citrus Bowl is where they went in 2010 when they lost two game, three games, actually, Auburn, LSU, and South Carolina. Um, blew out Michigan State in that one. Um, and, and this year may end up in the Outback Bowl, Mike. I mean, Bama probably has a shot at one of the New Year's Six games. I think one of the New Year's Six games would love to have them, but – you know, you look at the bowl projections right now, and you know if LSU is the only team from the SEC that makes the playoff, and, and then you got Auburn sitting there, and you got Georgia sitting there, um, Bama may fall to the Outback Bowl or something like that, or the Citrus Bowl. And, and so, for those fans, I mean, you know, that are used to just automatically going to the playoff no matter what, it, it does seem like a down year. But, but but let me just you know, like you pointed out, when you lose to Tagovailoa, who was one of the best players in college football who was on, before he got banged up, autopilot. I mean, with those receivers and, and the way he was dialing it up, I mean, that guy was was playing at a high level. Um, you know, yet again, the, the story with him, and I think this is going to be something throughout his career that we're going to notice, is can he stay healthy? Um, even on into the NFL, you know, and we I certainly do wish him the best in terms of recovery and all that. It was a serious injury. But – you know, he he, he, uh, he when you lose a guy like that, and your your whole team is sort of geared around outscoring people. This Alabama team wasn't geared around running the ball and and playing field position and playing defense. You know, yeah, it's going to affect you. And, and look, Mac Jones, I thought played pretty well. That's a really good Auburn defense, and you know, Bama <laughs> was able to light it up a little bit in that game. Um, and so I don't. I don't think this is the end of anything. I think if anything, Nick Saban gets a little more juiced up, uh, and he likes to have things to fix. I thought that this year, after what happened against Clemson, the championship game last year, I thought this would be the year. And you know, quite frankly, it, it looked like it. 
Um, and, and I don't think we saw the rise of LSU coming. Uh, and I think we always thought that the Iron Bowl was going to be tricky because it's down there. But, uh, you know, in, in my opinion, you know, what Alabama needs to do, keep building that defense. There are a lot of good young players. They did have a lot of injuries this year on that side of the ball, particularly on the interior defensive line. And, and then keep going with what you got on offense because you have good skill, talent, and that system looks pretty good and you come back with a vengeance I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with Alabama going 10 and 2 11 and 2 one year I mean that's just what happens it's hard in college football you're not going to be there every single year does it signify the end of a dynasty yes I suppose if you have to fill two hours of talk and debate uh, and you want to pose that question because of what happened in the championship game last year where they were undefeated going into that game by the way um and then two losses this year. You want to start saying there are cracks in the armor a little bit? You know, that's fine. But I just don't think that's based in any sort of reality based on the players they have returning, the program that they run, uh, and the level of competition, quite frankly, they face. I mean, you know, LSU, and there's no shame in going 10-2 and two and losing only to LSU and Auburn. No, no, there's not. And in, in neither one of those games, it's not as if Alabama got boat, boat raced or didn't compete. Uh, there's just simply no reason to think that Alabama is going to fall off the face of the earth. It is encouraging to see that some teams are rising to the level of Alabama, um, whether it's LSU. You know, Auburn, again, odd year versus even year. Sometimes we never know about Auburn. Uh, But the one thing, again, I would go back to is that's an Auburn offense that this year was hardly explosive. And they were able to put up a lot of points. They didn't lose that game because of Mac Jones. Mac Jones played a hell of a game. They didn't lose that game because of offense. But but Nick Saban's defenses lately, there have been some chinks in the armor. Uh, that that is the one thing I will say. But I'm not worried about Alabama falling uh, flat anytime soon. Uh, to me, they're they're still the preeminent program. Let's let's fast forward. There's a, a pretty good chance LSU is going to lose Joe Burrow. I want to see LSU next year, even if they win a national title this year, I want to see LSU next year without Joe Burrow. Um, that is a that is a generational quarterback for a lot of programs and certainly for LSU. And I know the offensive coordinator has a lot to do with that. But you're talking about a kid who might be the number one pick in the draft. Um, so I, I'm not ready to just hand the baton off and say LSU is now the team to beat every year in the SEC. And Alabama had a nice run and, and let's, you know, wish them farewell so and with all that being said it was one of the best college football games of the year you and i've talked about a number of times this season which has been uh, we love college football we're never disappointed i mean we're always going to enjoy the season however it has been devoid of a lot of the major upsets that we normally have drama there's been way too much of the same teams we're talking about year after year after year so when you add all that up, we, we needed some good things to happen, some excitement to happen. I think what would have been really good, too, was to see Michigan knock off Ohio State. I have no game, no dog in that fight, but that would have been good for that rivalry. It would have been good for college football as a whole if you don't care about who wins the game, which neither you nor I do. Uh, but Michigan, again, is just not there. And I know the focus will be on Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh. If you watch that game, there's just a talent discrepancy. And I don't know from a recruiting standpoint, J.C., because you're all over that much more than I am, but I just watching it, just a pure eye test, 
I don't see Michigan with Ohio State's talent top to bottom. They got some dudes, but they don't have nearly as many as the boys in Columbus. No, they don't. Urban Meyer built a monster there talent-wise. If you kind of look at it, Ohio State numerically has recruited on the same level as, as Alabama, Clemson, the Georgias of the world. Um, under Urban Meyer, um, they get all the top talent from Ohio, which is the what I call the breadbasket of the Big Ten. Um, you look at any Big Ten roster, there's always a bunch of Ohio kids. There's good football there. I think folks in the South don't realize that. Um, and then they go national and get guys. And Michigan – you know, has players, but but they don't have as many players. And what Ryan Day has done this year is he took what wasn't working and he made it work. I mean, look at their defense, how bad it was last season. And look at how good it is this year. I mean, honest to God, that game wasn't even that competitive. Um, and I, I was with, I mean, 50, you get waxed 56-27 on your home field. And Michigan was playing good football. I mean, they, they were kind of rolling coming into that game after the Notre Dame win, and uh, they kind of got on a, a hot streak and stuff. So, you know, that, that's unfortunate for Michigan. I, I did see, you know, they released Vegas odds, and the boys in Vegas still just pull things out of the sky. Uh, the Carolina Panthers fired Ron Rivera for some reason. Um, best coach they've ever had. Uh, and um, they uh, they released odds for the next Panthers coach, and Harbaugh's 3-1. to one. He's the leading leading guy. I saw that. So we'll see kind of what happens with that and, and if Jim Harbaugh moves on. But certainly a disappointing performance for Michigan. And, and here's the thing, too. Uh, I said it wasn't competitive. It was. Michigan kind of shot themselves in the foot early. And I just don't think with how explosive Ohio State is and how hard they are to stop and how many points that they can roll up on you in a hurry that you could afford to waste any opportunity against this football team. I, I just think that's the that's the bottom line here. It'll be the bottom line for Wisconsin. It'll be the bottom line forever they play in the playoff. You know, you have to take advantage of your opportunities when you're playing Ohio State. The fumbled snap uh, late first half, I believe it was. Michigan was on the move. It was a one-possession game, and the snap's a little bit to the right. Shea Patterson does not handle it. Ohio State recovers. The game completely changed on that play. Ohio State never recovered. They had to. They didn't have to be a, a flawless. Uh, Michigan didn't have to be flawless in that game to win it, but they certainly had to be much cleaner than Ohio State, and they didn't win that battle either. Uh, they didn't win many battles. As you mentioned, it was competitive for a half. But overall, uh, it, it, they're just—they're not in that league. That's the same thing we could say about a lot of these rivalry games that were one-sided. And inevitably, now what we all do is we focus on on coaching. And, and believe me, we're going to get to the rumor mill on the coaches' standpoint. As there's a lot of turnover in the SEC this year, uh, not necessarily where we expected it to be, mm-hmm. but uh, but there is a lot. Of, uh, of hiring and firing that's going to be done here pretty soon. But uh, nevertheless, um, what I noticed in a lot of these games is you could talk about X's and O's and strategy. and this. It's just one team that looked a hell of a lot more talented than the other. So just because it's a rivalry game and all the emotions are running high, more often than not, the team that's got much more talent is going to win. I don't care how much of the emotions and the pep rallies and the home crowd and 
at the end of the day, uh, talent normally prevails, and you've got a lot of lopsided matchups talent-wise in these rivalry games. By the way, little uh, little nugget, I'm not. Look, Chase Young is a bad man who could very well be the number one pick in the draft. I will say this as a Heisman voter: I was keeping an eye on everything that Chase did in that game because. Uh, I'll just say my leading candidate is someone else, and I don't think this Heisman race is going to be very close, to be honest with you. Um, but do you know how many? Do you know how many sacks Chase Young had in that game, JC? I did not see that total. Zero. Do you know how many tackles Chase Young had in that game? Was it zero? Zero. Now mm. look, I'm sure. And I didn't sit there and watch line play while I was watching the game on TV. I'm sure he drew a lot of attention, a lot of double teams, what have you, just as other stud linemen in the past, like a Jadavion Clowney, have. But put up a goose egg if you're trying to win a Heisman Trophy. There are people on TV convincing you that he's clearly the best player in college football. Mm-hmm. Well, the impact of a defensive lineman versus an elite quarterback um, when you say things like that and say them with such authority as if you know better, <laughs> you, you really come off as a little bit on the ignorant side. I'm not against voting for a defensive lineman for the Heisman Trophy, but don't tell me that Chase – They, the, Ohio State is winning that game with or without Chase Young. They're undefeated with or without Chase Young. LSU without Joe Burrow? Eh. Different story in my estimation. That's just the nature of the position. That's not a knock on Chase Young at all. He is a phenomenal talent. I look forward to watching him in the NFL. If I had the number one pick in the draft and I already had a quarterback, I would take him. But I think that just – I didn't hear anybody mention that at all. The year Charles Woodson won the Heisman Trophy, the one time a defensive guy won it, I watched Michigan-Ohio State. Remember, that was the big Peyton Manning race? Oh, yeah. Charles Woodson – got beat twice for a touchdown by David Boston of Ohio State. Remember David Boston? Kind of oh, chunky, yeah. thick wide receiver. Good player, yeah. Yeah, so I know we don't keep stats for cornerbacks, but if he, if my man gets beat twice for a touchdown, uh, I don't know. Isn't that the equivalent of like throwing five picks if you're Peyton Manning in a game? So everybody loves to just make these proclamations. It, it makes you sound smarter, I guess, in a room full of people to say, well, clearly – Chase Young, the defensive player, is better than all these quarterbacks and is clear, clearly the number one player in college football. Yeah, I'm that, not so sure about that. I'm not sure he's the best player in terms of impact on his team. Justin Fields, mm. without him, Ohio State might lose a game or two. But they happen to have a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback as well in Columbus. So just just a little FYI, because I heard that 100 times, Jason. Clearly, this guy is I – mean, it's not even a, a doubt. He, he would get my vote. Well – Maybe you want to do a little homework before you place that vote if you had one uh, as well. All right. Let's get into all the news that happened outside the games. Mm. I told you, I think it was on last week's podcast or the week before, I was talking to a very prominent alum of Missouri. And the AD was not sold at all on Barry Odom. What I was told is a lot of the big money guys were, but the AD was not. And, of course, the AD did not hire him. Uh, he's been there, what, two years now? Yes. Uh, give or take. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Barry Odom just finished his uh, fourth year, if I'm not mistaken. Forgive me. I got a lot of numbers in my head today. Um, I don't, you know, I've I've done some games there. I, I've sat in a room with Barry Odom, and 
it it I come away every time with an impression of, eh, you know what I mean? Like he, he's not a bad guy. He's not a necessarily a bad coach, but I don't know if he's a difference maker. Um, he surrounded himself with some pretty good coaches here and there. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, last year they had a first round talent at quarterback and they didn't win a ton of games this year. They have all these guys coming back and they get one of the premier guys on the, in the so-called free agent market at quarterback. A lot of people are talking eight. No, this could be a breakthrough year. And inexplicably they go on this lengthy losing streak at the end of the year. They lose uh, to Vanderbilt and they lose just games that you just shouldn't lose when you have that kind of talent. So I can't say I'm surprised. Now, who Missouri gets, I don't know. I mean, you see, the other we already knew about Arkansas, and, of course, the other bomb that was dropped recently is Matt Luke, and I'll, I'll have some thoughts on that situation too. But um, you and I have been talking about what's actually out there when you make these moves. Missouri had their alum and kind of a comfy guy in Barry Odom, but it just felt like they were never going to go over the top. Arkansas, Chad Morris was just an unmitigated disaster, and they and they had to do something almost similar to Willie Taggart at Florida State. And then Ole Miss and Matt Luke, I'm I'm honestly convinced the fate of two head coaches rested on a freshman imitating a dog peeing in the end zone <laughs> because if he doesn't make that stupid stupid move and they win it in overtime i convinced matt luke is still the coach and joe moorhead might not be in starkville i really believe that reading the tea leaves of both those programs this year the egg bowl for those two programs that have fan bases who are realistic they know they're not winning SEC championships in Oxford. They know they're not winning SEC championships in Starkville. So when you know that going in, the Egg Bowl is everything, everything. And you lose in that fashion, I honestly think that cost Matt Luke his job and it saved Joe Moorheads. But those are the, not to mention Washington, those are the three jobs that uh, just popped open here in the last few days. Yeah, I'll start with Missouri. And, and here, here's the Here's the shameful part about it. Like, okay, if you're Missouri, right? Okay, so Barry Odom was the guy that replaced the guy. He replaced Gary Pinkle. Uh, Odom played, I think, for Gary Pinkle right before Gary Pinkle got there. Gary Pinkle, I think, is the winningest coach in the modern era at the University of Missouri. Won Big 12 division titles, won SEC division titles. Really an overachiever. If you want to get right down to it, Gary Pinkle did a fantastic job at Missouri coaching football. There's no question. And usually the guy that comes in, if he's the, the and he wasn't a longtime assistant, I think he was only there a couple of years. You know, the guy, you promote the assistant, you know, keep it rolling, and, and he can't. And, and so you end up making a change sooner rather than later. I, I thought it was a little unfair. Uh, and I'll be honest, I, I know this year did not go as planned. When you lose to Vanderbilt and Wyoming, in the same season, and what, what was a bad Vanderbilt team? I mean, a terrible Vanderbilt team. Um, and you lose to Wyoming, and you blow a lead against Tennessee, and you lose to Kentucky, and you're not that competitive. I mean, you know, th- those are the types of things that kind of stick in your crawl. Uh, if you're Missouri, and if the AD wasn't fired up about them, then, then, then fine, move on. I never thought Barry Odom was a savior. I did think that in 2018, 
He went eight and four. He lost on the last play of the game to Kentucky by a point, the last play of the game to South Carolina by two, and his other two losses in the regular season were Georgia and Alabama. Um, I thought that was his best coaching job. Um, but still, you're eight and five. They lost the bowl game. So, I mean, look, you want to go aim a little higher? Fine. Today, Football Scoop reports that the, the coach that's trending in this search is Jim McElwain. That is shocking. I, I, I don't know how credible those reports are. I'll tell you what it does tell me, though, which was kind of my larger point, and that is what is the market for Missouri – Arkansas and Ole Miss. We already see Florida State is still scrambling to find out who their head coach is going to be. Uh, Mike Norvell, I would love to be Mike Norvell's agent. Mike Norvell has now become the Tom Herman of a few years ago, in part because he's done some good things, and also in part because who the hell else is there? (laughs) If you can't land Urban Meyer and you can't land the Stoops boys, what other coach is going to really excite your fan base? What other coach has the kind of track record that says, oh, yeah, we feel really good about this? So now you start picking up names. Arkansas, apparently they're talking to Lane Kiffin. That's right, Lane Kiffin. Uh, I think FAU uh, – let me make sure I got this right. FAU is playing UAB in the Conference USA Championship game Saturday at 1.30. I know your eyes will be glued at JC. Oh, yeah. Um, the Blazers and Owls meet. You can throw away the records. Um, so, I mean, Lane's done some good things there. He has, but but to me, that's a little bit of a desperate reach. I've never been a big uh, Lane guy, so to speak. I mean, I mean maybe, maybe FAU's done him some good, and maybe, maybe Arkansas is a good fit. I don't know. I don't know. But when you start hearing names like that for Arkansas – then for Missouri, you might start hearing names like McElwain. I don't know. I mean, I don't know where where these coaching searches are going to turn. I have no idea where Ole Miss is going to turn because uh, again, if Norvell's out of the of the of the pool, now we got to start being really creative. But that the McElwain that that would be ultra creative. <laughs> that would be super. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, he he did a good job. Where is he at? Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan. He was at oh, he's at um. I think Central Michigan this year. Uh, you know, uh, I, 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 you know, it looked for two years. I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, Central Michigan, eight and four, and won a division title at Central Michigan this year. Yeah, so he's won three division titles in four years. I think Jim McElwain's a good fit for Central Michigan at Colorado yep. State. I don't know about an SEC program. I mean, you know, when you when you're talking about his offense, and you're, I mean, you're just talking about a lot of. I mean, let the guy marinate a little bit. I mean, and I, I could I could honestly see him coaching at the Power Five level again at some point. But I was thinking, ah, you know, Tom Allen at Indiana gets a job at some point down the road. You know, Indiana, someplace like that. Not not Missouri, which you know, obviously eight and five and six and six aren't good enough. So uh, I, I, you know, that that surprised me. Now. You, you, you talked about all these jobs, and, and I agree with you, Mike. It's Mike, Nor- it's Mike Norvell's world right now. Um, and I do think that he'll end up at Florida State, and I think that's a good hire for them. I think he's an exciting coach on offense. Uh, if you look at what Memphis did on the defensive side of the ball this year, they got better and better and better, which is kind of rare for an American Athletic Conference team. He's young. He's a stud recruiter. 
Um, did a really good job at Arizona State as the offensive coordinator out there under Todd Graham. Um, just a guy that I think, you know, maybe maybe you'd rather him be at Memphis five or six years, six or seven years before you hire him. Um, he doesn't have a, a ton of a track record. But but I absolutely do think he's a rising star. And I think, you know, any big job. And you look at it, too, you know, his name's been kind of quiet with the Arkansas search. He, he's, he played at Central Arkansas. Uh, I think Ole Miss is probably going to target him. Um, maybe they should have tried to hire him a couple of years ago. But uh, I, I, I don't know. If you if you got the choice between the Florida State job and the Ole Miss job, man, I think you got to take Florida State, even if the money is the same, Yeah. Um, in my opinion. Uh, so I think he'll end up at FSU. The guy that I think Missouri should hire and – those Missouri fans, I mean, you're Missouri, okay? You need to be a different type of team. You can't just go out. You know, Gary Peekle was successful because he had a dynamic offense and he had a very good defensive scheme where he plugged defensive linemen in and evaluated them well and developed the crap out of them, and they were competitive because of that. You need a and guy, an awful Eastern Division. Let's be fair, awful Eastern Division. But you, <laughs> you, you have to. You're still in the East. I mean, you know. I think I think a guy like Willie Fritz at Tulane, mm-hmm. yep, who coached at Central Missouri for like seven years and was a winner there and has some ties to the area and they say it's his dream job. I think that guy. I think that's the direction you need to go. Mm-hmm. You know because that's different. It's it's you know and there's there's too much. I mean why re- why do you recycle Jim McElwain when you can hire Willie Fritz? Um, uh, I'm with you. You know, I mean, so and I, I, I hear incredible things about Willie Fritz in terms of I've talked to people who have uh, worked his games this year and have met with him and have talked and they are blown away when they talk to him. It's not just what he's done at Tulane, which goes completely under the radar to the average college football fan. Tulane's a very difficult job and they've had success that they haven't enjoyed in a while. But I, I, I'm with you. Willie Fritz is a very. Uh, under the radar, unheralded guy who might be ready for the big time before most people think he's ready for the big time. Yeah, and he's he's a guy that has ties to Missouri. And Dennis Dodd from CBS reported the other day, and Dodd's tied in at Missouri uh, as well as any school. Said that Fritz said that you know, that's Fritz's dream job is to go coach the Missouri Tigers. So I'm like, well, what? Why are you talking to Jim McElwain? You know, I mean, and nothing against Jim McElwain. I'm just saying. There's a fit for every school, and athletic directors time and time again miss the boat when it comes to fit, I think, and that's when you get into trouble. Now, Arkansas has different needs. You know, people these days, adults particularly, they talk about their needs, and, and, you know, you read any book in psychology, here's what your needs are. Well, football programs have needs too. I would not hire Lane Kiffin if I were the AD at Ole Miss, the AD at Missouri, the AD at Florida State, the AD at wherever else is open, UNLV, name your school. I would not hire Lane Kiffin. But I think Arkansas right now, Mike, we talk about the abyss. Arkansas is in the abyss. Arkansas has not won an SEC home football game since 2016. They have not won an SEC game since 2017. Bless their hearts, they tried hard to beat Missouri. I thought they were going to win. They covered the spread, (laughs) but they lost 24-14 in front of a half-empty Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium. There are problems at Arkansas, and they're almost getting smothered and strangled 
Because now, you know, Arkansas historically is a better program than Texas A&M. But not right now. You know, A&M's in the SEC now. The SEC, since A&M joined the league, has invaded the state of Texas. It used to be Arkansas. If you want to play in the SEC, you're from Texas. You go to Arkansas. A couple guys would go to LSU. A couple national guys like the Matt Staffords who went to Georgia and guys that went to Alabama, they would get away and go to the other schools. But basically, Arkansas, you know, was kind of the one of the places to go if you want to play in the SEC. You're from Texas. Well, no longer. That's no longer the case. They do have the state to themselves, but that's a state that produces probably eight to ten uh, power five level recruits a year. And then they lose some of those guys, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and so it's become and, – and on top of all that, you're in the toughest division in college football bar none. So, so you're in the abyss, and you're not, your fans, who are among the best in the country and loyal, are not showing up to your games. You need to do something to shake it up. Perception matters in college football. Attention matters in college football. It's how we recruit. Uh, it's how we, you know, select polls and rank guys in polls for the playoffs. And it's how we used to determine a champion. Everybody just voted. So perception, unlike other sports, matters. And and so, you know, who's going to be talking about Arkansas if you go get a guy? Well, if they hired Willie Fritz, nobody. You know, they may win a few more games because Willie Fritz is a heck of a coach. But but I think Arkansas needs a splash in the sense that they need a guy that, you know, people are going to talk about and a guy to come in there and kind of, you know, mend the fences. And so so for that reason, my top two, and I, I've been reading on our Arkansas site, Trey Biddy and the guys do a good job keeping up with it. For that reason, I think Mike Leach and, and Lane Kiffin are, are, need to be the top two for that job. Um, I think that that's kind of the the bottom line with that is you need somebody to kind of shake things up. You said a lot there, and and I don't disagree. Uh, doesn't mean I'm a huge Lane Kiffin guy, but I'm with you on where Arkansas is. This cannot be a traditional hire, I, I, and I don't. And I'm not saying Lane Kiffin's going to fix it. Believe you me, mm-hmm. if it is Lane Kiffin, if it is Mike Leach, for that matter. I'm not saying either one of those guys are going to fix it, but I understand where Arkansas is. They might be even a level below the abyss, okay? Mm. I mean, you could say you could almost make the argument Ole Miss has been in the abyss. Well, if Ole Miss is in the abyss, then what is Arkansas in? What's the (laughs) level below the abyss? Um, And from that standpoint, yeah, there's a – you and I are familiar with Atlanta. Mm -hmm. There's a term that – uh, the people in the dating circles uh, use sometimes somebody because Atlanta's very uh, provincial. Like people that live in Buckhead rarely go down to Virginia Highlands. People that live in Midtown rarely hang out in Brookhaven. And people stay in their little quadrant, right? They don't. There's so much in every little quadrant that you don't need to go more than five miles to get to. So, so if you meet somebody from the other side of town, sometimes you'll hear the term. Well, you're GU. What is GU? Geographically undateable. (laughs) And so, and you can make the case, and you and I have talked about this, so let me clarify this for the Arkansas fans. I love Arkansas. I love going there and calling games. I've been doing that for almost 20 years. Um, I I love the people. I love the fans. The program's got facility. A lot of great things going for it. But they might be a little bit GU because of the point you mentioned. Once A&M got in the SEC, 
a lot of those recruits that might have been looking at Arkansas are now saying, well, wait a minute, I can get all the love of the SEC and I have to leave my home state? Um, go Aggies. So I, that it's Arkansas to me has become one of the most difficult jobs in the conference. And this has been happening over time. And again, when both Brett Bielema and Chad Morris, two completely diametrically opposite kind of coaches in every shape, way and form, when they both fail, that's the scary part. You know, like when a school makes a bad hire as a coach, you're not too worried about it. You fire them and you get another guy. But when two guys fail back to back and they're both entirely different, that scares me as a fan. That makes me wonder, well, what the heck is it going to take then? Because neither one of them worked. And so where, where do we go from here? So to fast forward to your point, Lane Kiffin is the ultimate – He's going to get attention. Yep. Okay. There was a time, a much older version of Lane Kiffin, although he had a track record, was Lou Holtz. If you wanted an instant boost of adrenaline, you see what he did for South Carolina for a couple of years, and then, of course, the, the flavor of the gum runs out, and, and, and never, it usually doesn't end well for Lou Holtz. But, but he will get you winning in year two and year three, and he's going to get you a lot of attention. He's going to be a great soundbite, and some people are going to hate him. That's all that is Lane Kiffin, a younger version, minus the track record, because Lane Kiffin doesn't have the track record, right? I mean, what what is Lane Kiffin? What is his biggest accomplishment in coaching? He's been he's been in the pros, he's been in an SEC job, he's been in the Pac-12 job, and now he's in Conference USA at FAU. What's his biggest accomplishment? I would ask. Winning the Conference USA title at FAU would be mine. okay. Yeah, I mean, so. You get a lot of things that you think you need um, to get Arkansas relevant again. And he'll win the press conference and he'll piss people off. And a lot of Arkansas fans will say, this is what we needed, a guy with attitude. And all that's great unless you go five and seven and it's, what are you doing? So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. This is why I'm glad I'm not the AT in Arkansas. I don't know what the right fit is, but I do understand the move. For all the reasons you said, if, if that's the direction they're leaning, if that's where they wind up going, I get it. I do wonder, now money talks and it's an SEC job, but you take that job, you have to understand, you're not winning in year one and year two, right? So, I mean, you can go in there with all the brass. Like when Lane took the Tennessee job, that was not an unmitigated disaster. Any good coach could have gone in there and, and gotten to a bowl game in year one. I believe. Oh, yeah. They had players. They had players. That's not Arkansas. That's not Arkansas. This, to me, is at least a three-, four-year rebuild. And as Lane Kiffin, Lane doesn't lack, uh, he doesn't lack a high opinion of himself, is he still thinking, nah, I can do better. Nah, I, I can find a job that is ready for me to win right away. So that'd be a question I would have about that. Yeah, and, and you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned Lou Holtz because, um, the defensive coordinator and assistant head coach uh, during Lou Holtz's first three or four years at the University of Arkansas, where he was the head coach, was one Monty Kiffin. So mm-hmm. there you go. Lane, uh, Lane's lane got some ties there, too. So his dad coached there, and uh, that kind of makes sense. I think Pete Carroll was on that staff, too, back in the day or, or something like that. But um so there's some ties, and it makes sense. And and I'm with you. I mean, are, are you you know, 
are you going to be able to handle the losing? Because, you know, you didn't really lose big at Southern Cal. You know, you were kind of eight and four-ish. That was, that was bad and you got fired, you know. Um, they did have a losing season at FAU last year, but they bounced right back. I mean, it, it's one of those things where – that is that is just such a tough job right now that even Lane Kiffin, who I know is dying to get back to the spotlight despite of what he says, you know, are you going to do that or are you going to hold off and see if you can't, you know, get a little more in the trophy case at FAU and then get a, a job that's, you know, a bigger fit. And, and I, I, but I, I do think, though, that the pull is probably there, – there's probably something to the fact, you know, Lane Kiffin uh, and his, his dad – you know, had a job at Arkansas, you know, for years. And, and he probably, without memorizing Lane Kiffin's birthday, uh, I would think, you know, this was 77 and 80. Uh, I would think he spent part of his childhood in the, in the Ozarks up there. So there's probably a pull there for that particular job. Uh, if not, I think Mike Leach is willing to take any SEC job. <laughs> uh, but, but how high is his stock right now? Maybe not. Van- I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, they, they obviously got off to a good start and then struggled this year, and he had a run-in with a reporter uh, out in uh, out in Washington mm-hmm. where he called him a troll. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, but I, look, Mike Leach is a heck of a football coach. He's a guy that I think can get Arkansas you know, I don't know how high you can get in the SEC West right now unless you're, you know, Auburn, Bama, LSU, maybe Texas A&M, which A&M's got a lot of work to do. Um, you know, but I, I, can he get Arkansas back to bowl games every year? Yes, I think he can. Um, is his style of play similar to Chad Morris and what Chad Morris started to build there? Yes. So eventually there'll be personnel. Um, will he have a lot of great headlines and – uh, will everybody watch the press conferences and, and will Arkansas get a lot of, um, you know, publicity from him being there? Yes, he will. So that, that'd be, it'd be very interesting. But I think if you're Arkansas, if you're Hunter, you're a check, the, the AD there, you have to go in, in a different direction right now, you know, because you make kind of an average hire and, you know, you can't, that, you make another change in three or four years. You know, and you're still struggling to win at all. You know, this this, this thing could tailspin like you like you said, Mike. We're not talking like the abyss or the 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 near sub abyss. We're talking like that Robin Williams movie, What Dreams May Come, where he had to go down and find his wife. That part of of the, <laughs> the universe. That's what we're talking about with Arkansas. I mean, you know, you you know, you're praying for Vanderbilt to rotate on the schedule every year. I mean, I, I right. every eight years. So. And I hate it. I hate it because, like, like you said, I love Arkansas and Arkansas fans as well. Here, here's the here's the challenge. We're going to get to Ole Miss in a second for Arkansas, Ole Miss, and I promise you this much: if Joe Moorhead doesn't do something special in 2020, we're going to be having the same conversation about Mississippi State next year. Here's the challenge for all those schools: name me another division in football where over 50 percent of the teams you're going to compete with every year have considerably more talent every year. In other words, even if you strike gold on the hire at Arkansas, Ole Miss, or Mississippi State, do you think there's going to be a time period where any of them are going to have more talent than Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and Texas A&M? You know, not all, not, they're not going to have more talent than all four. I mean, no, no, any of them. 
Well, there's well, no. there, there's times where where they're probably Ole Miss when they under Hugh Freeze was well, well but we know, you know that, yeah, that's I the mean, asterisk. You know, we that, know that. And another big thing about it, Mike, is you know look at the different sides of the ball too. Like Mississippi State's defense last year, probably as much talent as anybody. Right. But 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 you know, hey, their offense in 2014 with Dak Prescott, probably as much talent as anybody. But but it's never at the same time. So yeah, you're right. That that's that's a tough deal, you know. Especially with the Mississippi's, where you do have a lot of talent in that state, but you have to work really hard to keep the ones that, that qualify, right? To, to get there. And then when you're dealing with junior college guys, that's a completely different ball of wax, and you have to keep those guys in state, and it, it's just tough. So and then you got to split it. Yeah, I mean, but uh, you know, Arkansas. Two is behind the eight ball because they're not the, you know, like I mentioned earlier, that they're not the big dogs of choice if you're from Texas and want to go to the SEC. Like, historically, Arkansas was a better football program than Texas A&M when you look at their accomplishments over the years. Arkansas, you know, is, 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 is one of the better programs in the history of the sport. But they, they it's kind of like what's happened to Nebraska to a certain extent in the Big Ten, but even, you know, it's, it's kind of delayed you know, because with A&M coming into the league, with the SEC West programs recruiting Texas more heavily than they have before, you know, th- there's a lack of talent within the state of Arkansas. It's, it's only producing, like I said, five to ten guys a year on the Power Five level. Where are you going to go to get players? That's my question. You know, you, south of you is Louisiana. North of you is Missouri. You know, where, you know you, you've got Tennessee to the east, Memphis – but Memphis is a you know every team in the divisions recruiting that place, and they're not a whole ton of guys. So so what are you going to do uh, if you're Arkansas to, to bring it back? And, and and you know I think it just starts with getting a little excitement because you know you're you're, you're just not any kind of relevant at all right now. No, and I, and again I I think Ole Miss and Mississippi State can have um, flashes of success here and there. Uh, but I, I go back to I think more often than not, and when I say more often than not, I don't mean fifty-one percent to forty-nine. I mean like ninety-something percent of the time, you are going to have less talent on paper than those top four schools, if they're functioning right. Okay, if if they don't make a ridiculously bad hire or if they're not on probation, more often than not, the overwhelming majority of the time. And if you and I know this, I guarantee you the coaching candidates know this, you're going to be behind the eight ball when you line it up four of your eight conference games against those teams, you're going to have less talent. Mm-hmm. And that is a tough, daunting task. In the Eastern Division, that's not the case. You know, that's not the case. I mean, that that's why those jobs in the East, uh, one of the reasons why, they're a little more appealing. You know, Georgia's certainly – on pretty solid ground. Florida perhaps is getting there with back-to-back 10-win seasons. Tennessee, I want to see what they do next year under Jeremy Pruitt, but clearly they seem to be trending in the right direction. And Kentucky is awfully solid and can't say enough about Mark Stoops. But I think most people, the perception is there is a ceiling there. So Western Division jobs for those three schools that we're talking about, two of which have a vacancy, they're extremely difficult jobs not because they lack facilities or money or fan bases it's because of those four preeminent programs they have to play every stinking year the schedule doesn't let up on that they happen to be in the west and 
The SEC is not getting rid of divisions anytime soon, nor are they realigning. If you listen to Commissioner Sankey, clearly that's not on the agenda. So I, I think it'll be very interesting. So that said, this, with Ole Miss, and by the way, I, I, I rarely get emotional about coaching moves because at the end of the day, it doesn't affect – my uh life in one shape or form i you know i'm 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 now in a position of complete impartiality not sure if that's a word but i just made it one it isn't (laughs) um so i don't lose sleep over wins losses coaching hires coaching fired and i know the the common uh the, the common thought among fans is well they make so much damn money anyway i don't care I don't get a big buyout when I get fired, but Matt Luke is genuinely one of the best human beings I've ever been around in the coaching uh, field. He bleeds, I mean, bleeds Ole Miss, you know, from his, all his family members had went there and played there to him. And I don't think he did an awful job considering what he inherited. But when I listened to the AD, Keith Carter, who is, it's surreal for me to say that. And I like Keith. But I was, it feels like yesterday I was watching Keith with the high socks shooting threes at Ole Miss. Um, you know, I mean, he made it sound like they're, they're just – they're in the abyss and that there's there's not enough buzz and there's not enough interest. And, uh, again, I still think if that kid doesn't, doesn't <laughs> decide to pretend like a dog peeing on a football, which I don't know sometimes what goes through these kids' minds. Oh, I know Odell Beckham did it. It was stupid when he did it. It was stupid when another Ole Miss player did it and it's more stupid than ever and you cost your team potentially a game and you and a staff their jobs um but I didn't I thought Matt Luke was was dealt a really difficult hand did some good things and, and I don't know if he was the answer or not but I I, I did I must say I, I hated to see him get fired um the way it went down but it's a business so now Ole Miss is looking for a hire and if you read those quotes from the AD it sounds to me like they're also trying to do what Arkansas is potentially doing, and that is go outside the box, non-traditional hire, somebody who is going to create a buzz that has been lacking at Ole Miss. And you think who? I, you know, I think you're going to make a run at Mike Norvell, but you know, you could have had Mike Norvell and you promoted Matt Luke. And, and here's what doesn't make any sense about all this, Mike, and why I think you're absolutely right about the dog peeing thing. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, I, 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 I thought that when they brought in Mike McIntyre. And by the way, Mike McIntyre, check this out. I think his buyout at Ole Miss is somewhere in the neighborhood of five million. Um, it, it, he was, of course, the former Colorado coach, former Duke assistant, knows Matt Luke. They brought him in to fix the defense, and quite frankly, their defense was better this year. Um, so he was there one year. He's a one and done. He's getting $5 million. He got $6 million to walk away from Colorado. So in a calendar year, Mike McIntyre is probably going to make more than Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> so way to go, guys. Yeah. And, uh, so, I mean, I, I don't think he cares, you know. <laughs> like, well, that's uh, fine. I mean, you know, um, you brought in Rich Rodriguez to fix the offense. I thought the offense did some good things, especially when they had Reese Plumley in there uh, running, mm-hmm. running Rich Rod's system. I'm not a fan of Matt Corral. I don't think – I think that guy's just not a fit for for what Rich Rod tried to do. So you spent all this money hiring those guys, right? Now you got to buy them out. I mean, you're looking at eighteen million. You, you write a check, 
to, to buy all these guys out and bring, then you got to bring in somebody new. Um, I think Ole Miss could probably come up with it. I think they could outbid FSU for Mike Norvell money wise. But like I said, Mike Norvell, uh, if he takes Ole Miss over Florida State, that's just that's just not happen. I mean, I, I would be stunned if that happened. I would be absolutely stunned uh, because of the reasons you just rattled off and we rattled off for about twenty minutes about the SEC West. Mm-hmm. You know, so so it's probably going to get past Norvell. And the guy I think that's going to end up with the job uh, is going to be Billy Napier. Um, former Bama assistant. He's been at Louisiana Louisiana Lafayette for two years. I think he's won two division titles um, in the Sun Belt, uh, and I think that uh, I think that that's uh, that's the direction they'll go. And I think Billy Napier is a heck of a coach. Now, is he a guy that's going to inspire everyone? I don't know. Uh, I do know he's an excellent recruiter, kind of like Hugh Freeze. Um, I do think he's a guy that runs a dynamic offense, kind of like Hugh Freeze. Uh, you know, I think that when you look at he's been at Bama, Clemson, he's worked under Dabo, he's worked under Nick Saban, he worked under Todd Graham at Arizona State before getting the Louisiana job, played college football at Furman and won a national championship, uh, son of a high school coach. So th- there's a lot of things about Billy Napier that fit at Ole Miss. Is that going to be a hire like Keith Carter described? I don't think so. I, I think us guys that know the game and love football, yeah, we'd get fired up about Billy Napier. But, you know, to a lot of Ole Miss people, it's going to be, well, he's just the guy that coaches at Lafayette. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, 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 you know, that, that, that's the thing there. But, again, they may not win the press conference, but, you know, I think Ole Miss could win some games if Billy Napier ends up being the head coach there. So, I – you know, I, 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 it's just with the money, you know, Mike, it, 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 like if I, if, if all coaching jobs were equal money wise, okay, and I'm Billy Napier, there's no way in Hades I would leave a good deal in Louisiana Lafayette where I'm winning to go step into Ole Miss. There's no way I'd do it. But I mean, you're, you're talking about a situation where, with the contract he's probably going to sign if he if he gets the job, he'll never have to work again in his life, right? You know, and and that's why I was critical of Greg Schiano turning down twenty five million guaranteed, and he eventually took it. Yep. Because I was like, if I'm his great great grandchildren, I'm I'm inventing a time machine and coming back <laughs> in time and whipping his butt because that's 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 like estate level money. That's like yeah. you, you don't just have money; you have an estate. You know, your, your family is going to be taken care of for the rest of your life. So it's hard for these guys to turn down, and quite frankly, I understand it. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's who will end up at Ole Miss. My, if I had to predict right now, I'd say Kevin to Arkansas, Fritz to Missouri, unless the AD hires McElwain, <laughs> uh, Norvell to FSU, and Napier to Ole Miss. Makes a lot of sense. I, I could see. I, I still think there's there's going to be one curveball in all of this. I just don't know what it is. That's why it's a curveball. If I did, you know, if it was all over every message board and rumor mill and website, then it wouldn't be a curveball, right? So I I think somebody's going to make a hire where we're like, whoa, did not see that coming. I just don't know who who does it and who it's going to be. But that's what makes it exciting, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what we like. So by the way, I mean, you, you you're continuing to see. All the potential guys, you know, like the PJ Flex of the world that are not group five coaches, 
that are Power 5 coaches. And what do we talk about? It's not just SEC schools that can offer estate money. It's just about every Power 5 school out there. I mean, look at what Rutgers is giving Greg Schiano. Look at what Minnesota is giving B.J. Fleck. You, they have the money. They have, even if they're not winning, they have the money. It's mostly TV money, but it's money nonetheless. <laughs> but you're seeing all these guys that are just signing extensions and uh, making sure they, they get wrapped up to where you, you, can't, you can't grab them. So I, I, that forces ADs and search committees to be a little more creative. It's not like it used to be. Uh, hiring somebody from a group five school, which let's face it, uh, how many ADs spend a lot of time on Saturdays watching Sunbelt football, American football, Conference USA football? None. <laughs> None. It's not on their DVR. It's not on their TV. They talk to somebody, and they talk to somebody, and they talk to somebody, and then they come back with, oh, yeah, he's, he's doing really well at that level. And that's how a lot of this is done. So it's going to be interesting. I, we should mention, by the way, too, and I don't know where, where this is going, Chris P- Peterson steps down at UW. I mean, almost like he was having kind of an Urban Meyer situation, high anxiety, stress, walks away, but he's not ruling out coming back to coaching. I mean, Washington's a pretty good job if it is open. Yeah. So that's a, that, that's another interesting situation. They, yeah, they out. you know they they say they're promoting Jimmy Lake, their uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, he's a guy that uh, a lot of folks on the West Coast the, and a lot of the national folks, Bruce Feldman's of the world, really like. I don't know much about him. Um, dynamic guy, defensive coordinator, all that good stuff. So that that's the word on Washington. But I thought it was interesting. And look, here's the quandary. And this is where I'm at now, Mike, with coaches. And I, I love coach. I'm a I am Mr. Coach. I will stand up for coaches. Um, people take shots at them uh, all the time. Um, you know, assistant coaches. I think with all the constant churn, it's tough on their families and all that. And it's a it's a labor of love in a lot of ways. And, and I've I've always, you know, you, you get a dispute. I'm always kind of leaning toward the coach in a lot of situations. But I'm, I, I've started to change because of the money. And I've started to look at, like I just mentioned, estate money. And, and it hit me when I see people like Manny Diaz who have a job, um, coaching a major college program, getting life-changing money to go 6-6 six and six and lose to Florida International and Duke to close out a season with one of the most storied programs in college football. They might have FAU in a bowl game, too, by the way. So that they could lose to FIU and FAU in the same season. Yeah, I mean, which, which would be perfect. Which would be perfectly fine. And look, nothing against Manny Diaz personally, and I know some people that know him and, and all that, but, you know, Miami, I mean, he got the Temple job, which is kind of a proving ground these days. I didn't think he was the best choice for that job. Um, and then Miami runs up to Philadelphia to hire him after Rick retires. Runs, you know, oh, come back, Manny, come back. And then he goes and makes yet another donkey hire at offensive coordinator like Miami normally does. But but this guy's getting millions of dollars. The very fact that Jim McElwain is in this, the discussion for another SEC coaching job making more millions of dollars baffles me. Now, these guys have worked hard to get where they're at. But I think I'm just done feeling sorry for guys that get fired. I mean, these people are now making more money, Mike, than actors that that make hit movies 
when you look at some of the money some of them make. I mean, these the the the, the compensation is on that level. And and a lot of these guys just quite frankly do not deserve that much money uh, under any circumstances because they're not very good. And and, and so I've, I've in, in the last couple of weeks just watching the end of the season, watching the the frustration of some of these teams uh, out there, watching coaches get recycled, watching coaches make hard headed, boneheaded decisions that you and I can see would be a huge mistake from a mile away, and we're not even coaches. Um, and yet they just make all this money. And, and I, I get it. It's capitalism. I'm not going to fault anybody for making a living. But I'm, I'm not going to feel sorry for people to get fired anymore, um, you know, when they're walking away with that kind of chunk of a change. Yeah, I don't feel sorry for him uh, for the most part, really, at all. I, I do think, and I think I'm starting to lean this way more than ever, really knowing the lay of the land and studying how all this works. Mm-hmm. I really feel like we are now giving into social media, internet, um, message board type pressure where it's like, okay, it's such a blank storm that I got to fire this guy just for the sake of firing him. And then I don't know what the hell I'm going to do in terms of the hire that's going to make it any better. And, if, and, and that's that's that, that's where ads I think are completely stupid because yes. the, you, that that's not that's a slice of the population. It's not, it's not even the majority of people. Of course, it's not you know reality. that. Yeah, it's yeah, not reality. But, right, you know that, and I know that. But it be, it gets so loud this time of year, and I think ads feel like they have to make moves just for the sake of making a move. And when you do that, like I'm trying to think of how many how many fire hire situations, let's just take it in the SEC, fire hire situations have really worked out well in the last 10 years. You know, I mean, there's not a ton of them. Mm-hmm. More often than not, you get the same result or an even worse result. But everybody feels better. It's like you got all this venom and this anger, and you just want to flush it all out of your system. So you fire a guy, and then you bring in a new guy. And then, but I mean, and somebody ought to do this. You mentioned Bruce Feldman, uh, Stuart Mandel, a anybody ought to ought to do like a, a, a whole article on, on the last ten years, SEC, Power Five, whatever you want to limit it to. What has been the yield? on the firing of a coach and the bringing in of the next head coach. And I'd be very curious what the results are. Yeah. I guess I just think too often you're not, you're not gaining any ground by doing it. Uh, and, and it's, it, again, it, it makes you feel like you've done something productive and everybody celebrates it for a time. And then three years later you look at it and you're like, well, we didn't really accomplish anything. And I think in the sec, it's, it's a different deal. Like, uh, depending on the school, like Mark Rick and Les miles, for example, those mm-hmm. guys had kind of, I don't want to say worn out their welcome, but, but I think people were tired of watching Les's offense in Baton Rouge. And I think mm-hmm. people were tired of going, you know, losing three games a year, two of them which you probably shouldn't under Rigged in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think that those are different deals. And obviously LSU was not, you know, they were still kind of nine and three-ish until this year under Orgeron, but things are trending in the right direction. Because? Uh, because, you know, they're, they stuck with Orgeron. 
It, well, and because they brought in an offensive yeah. coordinator, finally figured is, that out. <laughs> which you like to you like to think Les Miles eventually would have figured that out too. Maybe he would have, maybe he wouldn't. But Ed Orgeron didn't come in with this dynamic idea on how to change offense. And we're talking about a guy that was a failure at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, would Ed Orgeron work at anywhere else? Give Ed Orgeron the Arkansas job. Are we patting Ed Orgeron on the back? And and I love Coach O. I'm not picking on Coach O. I'm just telling you. I mean, it's it's the job go sometimes Hawks. more than it is the coach. Go Tigers. Uh, if he was saying, go Razorbacks, Big Suey, I don't know <laughs> if he'd be celebrated right now. We could be looking at three and nine and saying, why did we hire this guy? He was terrible at Ole Miss. He's a strength coach. He, he doesn't have a specialty in offensive or defensive coordinating. Like, what, that's my point. And, and to your point, you, you picked out the two names I was thinking when I asked that question off the top of my head. Uh, and, yes, both those guys I thought ran their course. It was time. And you could make the argument for the, for the now they're better off. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when, when you know LSU lost to Troy a couple of years ago, you wouldn't have said that. Uh, but, but now we can say they, Ed Orgeron figured it out. They brought the OC in. Uh, from uh, uh, I just drew a blank. Where Brady come from? Uh, the New Orleans Saints. Thank you, the Saints. Uh, they they that was and that was a difference maker. And oh, by the way, you might have the best quarterback in college football. I don't even think it is an oh, by the way, but yeah. Um, and then in the case of Georgia, don't, don't beat Florida enough. Don't win the big game enough. Blah blah blah. blah. You bring in Kirby Smart, and and Kirby has. It made it to another level, not to the level that Georgia fans hope for. But those are guys that got fired after what? I mean, Rick was there 15 or so years. Yeah, 15, How long was less than 13, I think. 13, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when you get to that point, I think you can make that. It's much, much more justifiable to make that move. Yeah. We're just seeing guys getting fired in year two, year three, year four at schools that traditionally don't win a ton. And then you fire them and then you hire somebody else. And guess what? They still don't win a ton. Yeah, I mean, you know, Tennessee is an example of, of, of that, I think, with all their turnover. And, and, and they historically have won a lot, but the last 10 years they haven't, and they've had sort of similar results. They've, you know, 7-5 and five under Jeremy Pruitt this year is one of the best seasons they've had in a long time. Um, Texas A&M is an interesting case study to me because I think they said, you know, everybody always talks about Texas A&M's money. And then they go out and, you know, they go try to make a coaching change. They hire Mike Sherman, you know, and you're like, ah, well, you know. But they said, we are going to go get a guy this time. And honestly, Jimbo Fisher's first two years uh, at A&M, you know, are about the same as Kevin Sumlin's last four years, you know. (laughs) I mean, and and look, we don't know that eventually it won't come. I think A&M's window kind of opens next year with, you know, you you don't know if Tua's going to be back at Bama. He's probably not going to be back at Bama. Joe Burrow's gone at LSU. Auburn loses a lot of players off their team. Kellen Mond will be back. You know, A&M's got an opportunity next year. But but that's an interesting case study. Florida, here are the last five years at the University of Florida. SEC East champions, SEC East champions, four and seven, fired Jim McElwain, then Dan Mullen, 10 wins, Peach Bowl, and then 10 wins in whatever bowl they're going to this year. Um, which those SEC East title teams and these, you know, aren't the, the Peach Bowl teams or whatever, if they go to the Orange Bowl or whatever this year, they're essentially the same. You know, McElwain won kind of a down SEC East. Um, and if it had not from for Georgia, Florida probably won the East 
the last two years. So I, you know, so four out of the five years are similar at Florida, but the one year facilitated this, this change and upheaval. So, so really, if you get down to it with the exception of one bad year, and I, and I think Dan Mullen is an excellent coach. I think he's out coaching people, which is outstanding in Florida, but you know, four out of the last five years, two different coaches, kind of the same deal. I mean, I, right. I just, you know, old, the the thing the thing with Ole Miss drives me insane because it's like, you know, they didn't give that guy had a mess. You, you didn't give him any time, no. And you threw a bunch of money at fixing at fixing things last year, and and now you're just going to give up on that after one season? No, no yeah. you know. So I, I'm just. I thought it was. I thought it was set up to fail. I, I, yeah. I really, I thought that situation was set up to fail. Yeah. So I just, yeah. And, and I'd agree with you. And I agree with you, Mike. But it's, it's like, then why do you go? Why is Mike McIntyre getting five million dollars? You know, why did you sign him to a long term contract? And I'm sure Rich Rods is the same. Is, is similar. So you're going to pay assistance ten million to buy him out, and another however many to buy out Luke. You know what? Why? I, I just I, so, I don't understand so, the thinking down there. It's a last second gasp. I mean, Matt Luke tells you tells everybody that hey, I'm gonna I need my coordinators. Mm-hmm. Let me let's spend the money. And and no SEC school wants to come off as well. We don't want to spend the money because we're not that committed. Yeah. So what do you do? You overspend. You yeah. overspend. And uh, I'm not saying there were bad hires, but good goodness gracious, that's a lot of money for a lot of cash. <laughs> A lot of cash for a team that, that didn't make a bowl game. Um, before we get to this week's games and, and wrap things up, I do want to mention Christmas is right around the corner. I, I'm going to do my part. Several of you have already taken care of the special BP Skinner clothiers where Brent Skinner will come to you. You buy one custom suit uh, or sports coat. He's throwing in a free custom shirt. I'm going to add something else. I'm, I'm going to buy you a tie as well. I feel like I, I, can, I can spring for a couple of ties, and I feel like – now I've, now I've done some shopping already. I've done some Christmas shopping for some of our podcast listeners. That makes me feel good. It's it's the season of giving, isn't it, JC? I mean, that's what they tell me. So go ahead now. Get in touch with Brent. He, again, he will come to you. Get uh, if, if you get a, two custom suits or two sports jackets or a combination, of course you'll get the custom-made shirts, and I'll throw in a tie just – just for the sake of saying thank you very much. How do you do it? You go to bpskinnerclothiers.com. Why do you do it? Because he's got the best selection of custom suits you can find, and he provides convenience for you by coming to you as opposed to you having to travel to whatever store he might be at. Uh, what do you get? You're going to look and feel the best you ever had in these clothings, uh, in this clothing, in these suits, sports coats, pants, accessories, shoes. He's got it all at BP Skinner Clothiers. Check out the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent. Again, he comes to you, and you got a whole lot of things to take advantage of. Believe you me it's made a difference for me and so many other people in my profession a lot of coaches a lot of players have used brent services a lot of just everyday business people like yourself have used it as well that's brent skinner of bp skinner clothiers.com all right we've got championship weekend and much like much like rivalry weekend we've got a lot of games that are expected to be lopsided what am i talking about well Clemson is now a 28-and-a-half-point favorite over Virginia in the ACC championship game. Ohio State is a 16-and-a-half-point favorite over Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, If you follow uh, the Mountain West, Boise State is a 14-point favorite over Hawaii. Uh, Memphis is a 9-and-a-half-point favorite over Cincinnati. Those two teams just met a week ago, by the way. That's kind of unusual. They met a week ago at the very same stadium. Hmm. Uh, 
FAU is a seven and a half point favorite over UAB. Oklahoma's a nine point favorite over Baylor in that rematch. Uh, Utah is a six and a half point favorite over Oregon. And LSU is a seven to a seven and a half point favorite over Georgia in the SEC championship game. In other words, in every conference championship game, one team is at least a touchdown favorite over another. And it's just been that kind of year. Uh, we saw it this past Saturday in the rivalry games, with the exception of Auburn, Alabama, that definitely lived up to the hype. And hopefully these games will live up to the hype. Uh, Georgia LSU is obviously the headliner, JC. It's the one that I'm expecting the best game to come out of. Your thoughts, your impressions of what we're going to see in Hot Atlanta? I, you know, Georgia's a little banged up right now. And so I would, uh, I would be cautious about expecting them to – and you know, look, LSU just took it to Texas A and M last week. I mean, that was a that was a woodshed type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, LSU's played at a high level, but you know, you know, sometimes Georgia gets up off the mat. They get in Atlanta, especially. They tend to play well at Mercedes Benz Stadium, although they've lost to Alabama the last two times they played. Uh, this Georgia LSU, I mean, you got to go back to like the middle of the last decade. Uh, to where they were playing consistently, um, and Georgia surprised them one year. I remember LSU beat them pretty good uh, under Nick Saban in '03, and then in '05, uh, I think Georgia Georgia beat them pretty good. Had DJ Shockley, Shockley and those guys. Uh, this series kind of goes back and forth as well. I just think LSU is too good right now. Uh, I think this team's locked in and focused. Uh, so I I I. I expect Georgia to maybe hang with them for a little while uh, and then LSU to win by about 10 to 14 points. I'm with you. Look, if LSU loses their number one receiver, if Alabama Clemson loses their number one receiver, they've got three other NFL guys that can run routes, get open, catch passes, make plays. Georgia loses Lawrence Cager. It's just too big of a loss. Mm-hmm. It's an offense that already was uh, was hardly explosive, partly because of play calling and scheme and philosophy, uh, and partly because they don't have the wide receivers that they had the last couple of years. You take away Lawrence Cager, that to me is an absolute difference maker. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there on all that. I think that's a that's a tough deal. So without Cager, I just I don't think. I don't think Georgia can make enough plays in the passing game to win this game. And don't worry about LSU having representation. Yes, the game is played an hour, hour and a half away from from Athens, but the ticket split is 50-50. LSU is not going to um, <laughs> lack a demand to buy those tickets. So there will be plenty of Cajuns at the Mercedes Dome in Atlanta uh, for that game. Uh, look, Ohio State, Wisconsin, you want to spend more than five seconds on this? Wisconsin has no chance. No, I, yeah, I think Ohio State's too good. I mean, it is the second time they've played Wisconsin. Wisconsin had a really nice win over Minnesota last week, and I think they're a good football team, but Ohio State's too good. And finally, there are two beauty contest games. Oregon, Utah, Baylor, Oklahoma. Why do I say beauty contest? Because we know Alabama's out of the playoff. One of these two teams likely is in as the fourth team. And it's not just about winning. Style points are going to matter for this committee. And so I'm not even saying that either one of these teams is going to win their games. But if they do, they'd be best suited to do it in convincing fashion. I think Utah has the inside track at this point. 
Um, there were a lot of things in those rankings that I think are a little squirrely, and it almost seems like some people are trying. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but some people in there are trying to set up their own matchups. <laughs> There's ways to do that. Um, I hope that's not the case. I believe Utah should have the inside track. If they play well and Oklahoma also plays well, I would actually take Utah over Oklahoma. I think Utah has the, you know, if you kind of look at it, the, the, the least worst loss. Um, not that Kansas State's a bad team, but you also look at Oklahoma. Struggled to beat Iowa State. Um, struggled to beat TCU. Had to come back from 21 down to beat Baylor. Like you said, there's no – there's no guarantee they will they will even beat Baylor this weekend. Now now if it's Baylor versus Utah, I don't know. I could I could I could probably swing the other direction because you know Baylor's gone undefeated and then the one loss was they they had them beat by 21. If they beat Oklahoma down, you know, 35 to 20ish or something like that, you know, I I could maybe make a case. Um I think Utah has to worry about Oregon though. I think Oregon's a really good football team. Utah's defense, though, to me, Mike, uh, is probably the best defense in the West by by a mile. Uh, Tyler Huntley's a really good quarterback. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to say Utah wins and they're in, uh, but, but taking the brand out of it, uh, I don't see how Oklahoma goes and beats Baylor by a field goal that you can justify putting the Sooners in uh, over the Utes. And, and, and look, it's going to cause some crap uh, if – if they do not put Utah in and put Oklahoma in and all things are equal, because that, to me that would be like the Baylor-TCU thing a couple of years ago. If those two schools were Texas-Oklahoma that tied for the Big 12 championship the first year we had the, the, the four-team playoff, I guarantee you one of them would have gotten in. I yeah. mean, I, you know, over somebody. Mm-hmm. But it was Baylor-TCU. So, so to me, you know, remember I talked about perception earlier – you know, it's going to be a travesty if Utah beats the Ducks, which Oregon's a good football team, uh, finishes 12-1, and wins the Pac-12, and they put an Oklahoma leapfrogs them just off the basis of beating Baylor again. Yeah, you got some people even saying Oklahoma State mysteriously sneaks in the top 25, so therefore the, the committee can say Oklahoma's got an additional top 25 win. I, when I hear that kind of stuff, my first reaction is to say, oh, come on now, they're not that calculated. My second reaction is to say, if they are, if anybody on that committee is, it's that's really disappointing and discouraging. Uh, it's the best system we've ever had, but it's it's hardly flawless. And somebody is going to be left out, and there is going to be a little bit of controversy. And if they go by brand over substance, that's problematic. You know, we already have the Power Five is in a whole other universe than the Group Five. As I like to say, Group Five is just the modern-day 1AA. Um, but if now we start making decisions based, based on brand from fellow Power Five schools, mm-hmm. come on. That, I mean, there's enough money and ratings. The playoff is going to be successful, whether it's Utah or Oklahoma. We don't have to make a decision uh, based on that. That's yeah. that's just that's so unnecessary to go down that road. And Utah's going to be a heck of a story, and that also forces – you know what I what I believe will be one heck of a semifinal with Clemson playing LSU. <laughs> wow. On one end, you got you're going to have Ohio State, Utah, and Clemson and LSU uh, on another, most likely. You know, Clemson. It, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I was I was just going to say uh, it's kind of like the basketball tournament, right? We like upsets. 
But then when we get to the final four, we want the heavyweights. We want the blue bloods. This regular season has lacked a lot in terms of surprise and originality, but it has a chance to be one of the best playoffs ever. Oh, I, I agree. And, you know, not many people know about Utah, but, you know, like I said, Tyler Huntley's a heck of a player. They've got a good defense. They're very well coached. Um, they could give Ohio State a run for their money. And then Clemson, LSU, the Battle of Death Valleys mm. would just be – I mean, think about that that game. That game will, would probably be unbelievable. So that's crazy. Clemson does play Virginia in the ACC championship game or the Clemson – you know, another Clemson coronation as that's uh, the ACC stands for these days. Um, they're going for their fifth straight. I want to point out, though, Mike, my, my, my division, my favorite division in college football, the ACC Coastal. <laughs> Seventh different champion in seven years? Seventh and seven. Going back, Duke, what, Duke, tw- starting in 2013, Duke, Georgia Tech, North, and, and they've won none of these championship games. Duke, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Miami, Pitt, and now the Virginia Cavaliers, Wahoo Wah, heading down to Charlotte to, to play Clemson. I'll say this: of the last two, of the last three ACC championship games, matchup wise, because of Virginia's style of play and Bryce Perkins, a dual threat quarterback, and you know, sort of how they're coached. Um, don't be surprised if this game may be a little closer than you think. Maybe they cover the twenty-seven. <laughs> um, unlike last year when Pitt, who was you know Pitt was a six and six football team going into that game, uh, mm. Pitt had no chance. Um, Miami the year before you thought they had a chance and the Clips had stopped a mud hole in them, um, and then the previous two games were competitive with Virginia Tech and North Carolina. But uh, don't be surprised if this Virginia team plays a little tougher than you think. You know, they I'm are, with you. They are nine and three. They they have a, a distinct style of play. Bryce Perkins. Very tricky quarterback to handle. Mm-hmm. Clemson's been rolling right along. This, yeah. this is the best team they've played in quite a while. So, yeah. I'm um, with you. You know, just just don't be surprised if it's a little closer. And I, I'm, a, I'm a Bronco Mendenhall job. I think he's he's a guy. I think he's done a good job there. Who, who was the coach before him again? Was it Mike London? Mike, Mike London. London. Yeah. And, and look, Mike London was was a successful coach at Richmond. and uh, start was rec- great rec- rec- His problem was, like a lot of guys, like I mentioned Manny Diaz earlier, he's a defensive guy married to a pro-style offense at a place where you have to be different. You can't yeah. do that at Virginia. And, yeah, Bronco Hatton, Bronco's got a good defense. He's a defensive-minded guy, but they run something that's just a little bit different than everybody else, and it's paid mm-hmm. off for them. Has paid off for him. Uh, hopefully, this podcast has paid off for you, folks. I'm glad that uh, we got a chance to talk to you post Thanksgiving, and next week we'll have plenty more to talk about. JC, some final thoughts before we sign off. I love championship weekend. Also, looking forward to starting to watch a little college basketball because it's, yeah. uh, it's December finally, um, and then we get into all the things. Going to be really interesting to see who fills some of these jobs, and if there are any other surprise openings. Uh, around college football, like if Harbaugh does go mm-hmm. to the Panthers, uh, or if Lincoln Riley does go to the Cowboys or the Falcons, or you know that that, that those are two huge, massive jobs, uh, Michigan and Oklahoma that that could open 
right? Um, without a coach hitting the firing squad. So we'll, we'll I, one of the guys I was happens. talking about earlier that uh, I mentioned, PJ Fleck, and somebody, Matt Campbell re-signed with Iowa State, another Power Five school that you don't think maybe has a lot of money, but Iowa State's going to do everything they can to try to coerce him into not leaving for another job. I've always thought Matt Campbell had NFL written on him. But it's a little harder to sell that when you're coming off a seven and five year, mm-hmm. and at seven and five at Iowa State, still good. And I still think he's a really good coach. But uh, his stock, kind of like a coach Shaw at Stanford, you know, it's it's it, it dipped a little bit this year. Um, but yeah, the the coaching market continues to be fascinating because the supply for impact coaches seems to be a heck of a lot a heck of a lot less than a demand right about now. So we'll have plenty to talk about that next week. In the meantime, enjoy your weekend for JC. It's Mike saying so long. We'll talk to you soon.